Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio, Chico 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me by Harvest House Publishers. Each week we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's essay is A Reminder by Steve Chapman, who along with his wife Annie are award-winning musicians who take their message of Christ-centered family to fans all over North America. Steve's enthusiasm for Jesus, family, hunting, and humor shines in his books, including A Look at Life from the Deer Stand, 300,000 copies sold, The Hunter's Cookbook with Annie Chapman, and Great Hunting Stories. With that, let us read the essay... A Reminder by Steve Chapman No matter where I see the sight of an empty cross, the divine symbol stirs very real emotions in my heart of hearts. First, the thought of that original blood-stained timbers once held the crucified and cruelly beaten body of the innocent Christ causes me to feel both humbled and hopeful. I'm humbled because the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against me, which was hostile to me, was canceled out and nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. I'm hopeful because I now have assurance by faith that eternal life through Christ is ever before me. Without that hope, I would be helplessly miserable. The distinct shape of a cross is also a reminder of other things important and precious to me. One, as if pointing in all directions, east, west, north, and south, and saying, come, the cross is a gathering place for millions of souls who are needy of redemption as I am. Yet the number of those who have come are far too few. To carry the message of the cross to to the despairing, is not just my duty, but my joy. Second, it reminds me to keep looking up. The one who once hung there will return again someday, still victorious. Three, 
If the likeness of Christ is my target for living, the cross will assist me in setting my sights on him. For like a key, the cross unlocks the treasure chest of the eternal truth regarding God's unfathomable love for me. Five. Finally, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. That sword, ironically, shaped like a cross, is God's final statement to the enemy of souls. It is finished. Blessed be the one who endured the sentence of the cross. That ends the essay, The Reminder, by Steve Chapman, and submitted for the book, What the Cross Means to Me. Now, there's a poem preceding this essay by Martin Luther, which states, The cross alone is our theology. The photo accompanying this essay is The Climb, another small cross in the Magi Cross collection. Now, the overall image is the same uh, size and ratio as the others, but the cross itself is about 100 feet away. So in the image, the cross is rather small. I am at the bottom of the hill, but it's not a hill of dirt, but a hill made up of small, medium, and large boulders. I'm shooting up towards the cross, which is securely planted on the summit. The area around the cross is still covered in a circle of the same grass that you'll see in many of my other cross images. I could hardly believe my eyes the day I arrived back at the cross to see this scene. To me, it looks eerily similar to how I picture Golgotha would have looked. You see, construction equipment had literally cut a slice out of the hill since my last visit. You see, the cross that I had found was put there by a school organization that wanted to build a new high school and junior high campus on that ridge. The land on and around the ridge were sold to the school in a sweetheart deal by a very well-to-do local financially independent lady of God. Now, this really angered many land developers who had their eyes on this 100-acre hillside locations. Plans that evolved a lot of potential tax revenues for the city versus a nonprofit, not to mention lots of potential backroom graft. And since the school needed the city's approval for most of the stages of the school build-out, many impasses and hurdles from the city cropped up especially the first step to break ground, and the city seemed intent on derailing the entire project or stalling it as much as possible. So one gentleman involved with the school cut, shaped, and painted the cross that you see in my images. Then they dug a hole, placed the Bible in it, and erected the cross atop the Bible and dedicated the site for God's plan for the school on that hill. I'd stumble across the cross a month or so after it was erected. I shot it about a year with the land around the cross undisturbed before the school officials finally did break ground. The second year of shooting the cross was filled with amazing surprises, surprises like this image called the climb, meaning I'd often arrive and find the area around the cross had changed, or there'd be construction equipment to climb up on and acquire unique angles. This explains a part of the diversity of this cross collection. Yes, some of it has to do with time of day, time of year, lens choices, shot location. Um, But to constantly discover the landscape around the cross changing is a big part of the diversity and in a very dramatic way. 
It can only be defined as a God thing, and all I can do is to be grateful and say glory to God. And I find it appropriate that no matter what changes and challenges we face in our lives, our family, our church, or in society, the story, the purpose, and the impact of the cross stays the same. Well, everything around our lives can be in flux, constantly changing. The cross never changes. The principles, precepts, and promise of the cross never moves. And it will not be moved, even while the tectonic plates beneath our temporal life keep shifting. The bedrock of Golgotha is solid, steadfast, and sure. When events in your life begin to shake your footing, your foundation, and even your faith, return to the cross. And so let's return to this essay, a reminder by Steve Chapman, in which he teaches us some cross truths, some that many of us may have forgotten. Let us not forget to remember the import and contrasting constructs of the cross to the entire good news narrative of the gospel. And to the listener of this program right now, what does the cross mean to you? Now, Steve's medium of sharing the gospel was initially music. He was known to me initially as a singer, songwriter, but he went on to write many books. And yes, there are many good reasons why we should listen to edifying music and read the Bible and biblically-based books and pray and grow in the Lord while things are relatively calm and blessed because you never know when those tectonic plates of life turn everything upside down or you become tested like gold in a purifying fire. The reality is that most growth, real, consequential, life-changing growth, is born of us living through a seriously adverse situation. Look at Peter and the impact that his failure, his choice to not acknowledge his Savior under duress, meaning when he denied Jesus three times, and upon the realization of what he had did, he did he felt deep contrition, and Scripture says he wept. Now, he could have thrown in the towel and went the way of Judas, but no, he did not. Why? As we see over the descriptions in the gospel, by spending time with Jesus, he built up a foundation of faith that not only sustained him, but strengthened him through the guilt of the denial, but also the horror of watching his Messiah, his teacher, be tortured and crucified. But the reason he did not get stuck or devolve is because of the foundation that was the foundation of faith that was built up to that point. That is why I just said earlier that while things are good now, edify and build up your faith. Could be by going to church more or watching sermons of relevance on YouTube or Rumble. Listen to spiritual music, meditate on sacred art, read Christ-centered books, and especially read the Bible. And pray, 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 pray without ceasing. As Mr. Talbot reminds us in a song entitled Renounce All, it goes, quote, Prayer is the flower of gentleness. It frees us from anger within. Prayer is the fruit of joy and thankfulness, the remedy for despair and sin. Unquote. Many throughout millennia believe that praying and the act of prayer does not change God, but changes us. As Talbot continues, quote, Prayer is the highest intention, the ascent of the soul unto God. The passions, pure efficacy, the deliverance of demons all. 
Prayer is the state of dispassion, detached from anger and desire, which by virtue and pure loving transports the soul unto God. Unquote. I pray throughout the day, and you should strive to get into that habit if you haven't already, to the point where it becomes second nature. The more you pray, the more you grow from a babe in Christ to a mature Christian and better prepared to go through trials. A phrase I heard uh, attributed to Archilochus, I guess he's a Greek philosopher, states, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. So spiritually train now. So when tough situations unfold or persecution, our faith is strong and secure. So with that in mind, let's get back to the essay. In his first sentence, Steve starts off with, no matter where I see the sight of an empty cross, the divine symbol stirs very real emotions in my heart of hearts. It reminds me of another song called Prayer Before the Cross by John Michael Talbot, in which he has a reading leading up to the singing part, which goes like this, quote, So wherever the brothers saw a church, a crucifix, or even the mark of a cross, whether upon the ground, upon a wall, or in the trees and hedges along the way, they were to bow low with body and soul and adore the Almighty God. Unquote. Now, I like that phrase and the premise that when you see a cross or a crucifix or a church, to take it a step further, body of people imitating Christ, something should stir in your soul, lest the full fire of the meaning of the cross be dimmed down to just the tiny pilot light. Some, like me, say a prayer when I see a cross, and if the situation and time allows, I use it for a witnessing opportunity. Meaning, upon noticing a cross around someone's neck, I say something like, that is a nice cross. And after their response, I try, if the situation allows, to follow up with, well, you know, what church do you attend? Or, you know, something similar. And they tell me either where they go to church, or talk, we talk about their faith and their denomination. Um, or they say, oh, I don't know, I don't really go to church, I just like the cross. And then the conversation can flow from there. But I extend this observation and trigger to prayer when passing a church on a street, driving down the road of any denomination. I make the sign of a cross and say a quick prayer for that church. I do it every day. It may be a big mega church or a small church in a strip mall or a sublet out of a school. And it means something more than you might think. Because as Christians, we notice crosses and church out and about more than most folks. We should. And if we all say a prayer for those little churches as we pass, it all accumulates and somehow can make a huge difference in the dimension where the kingdom of heaven resides. And regarding to his first line about how his heart is stirred when he sees a cross, Steve's heart must get stirred a lot, as I see lots of crosses as I travel through my normal day. Of course, it is because I'm looking for it. I'm always aware. And that is good, yes? It helps keep our minds stayed on Christ and facilitates us to better being able to walk in the Spirit. And Steve then gives insight to why when he confesses a dichotomy and a paradox, meaning when he com contemplates the original cross, that real one, not the stylized or artistically portrayed ones, like the one in my photo collection, but the one that was stained with the actual blood of the King of the Jews and Savior of all mankind. 
the one that held his tortured and disfigured body. Damaged from repeated beating to the head with a rod, portions of his beard pulled out, pieces of his body pulled out during the Roman flogging, which was designed to quickly remove flesh from the body of a victim. The Romans would, according to custom, scourge a condemned criminal before he was be put to death. The flagellum, also called the scourge, was a short whip made of two or three leather thongs which were knotted with a a number of small pieces of metal, usually zinc and iron. Deep lacerations, torn flesh, exposed muscles, and excessive bleeding would leave the criminal half dead. Death was often the result of this cruel form of punishment. Though they strove to keep the criminal alive, so the centurion in charge would order the lictors to halt the flogging when it was observed the criminal was near death. But for Jesus, this was something foretold, prophesied about. In Isaiah 53, 5-6, we read, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the inequity of his all. And in Isaiah 56, it says, I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. And in Isaiah 52:14 it says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his formed his form was marred beyond human likeness. And Steve is saying that this mangled body was the one placed on the original cross. And not from a physical perspective, as Jesus had to take onto and into himself all the iniquities of man across the span of history and into the future until the rapture. All of the most vile, disgusting, foul, nasty, unpleasant, horrid, dreadful, abominable, offensive, odious, unsavory, repulsive, repelling, wicked, evil, heinous, villainous, diabolical, fiendish, vicious, murderous, barbaric, cruel, dark, rotten, nefarious, monstrous, spiteful, and hurtful actions ever committed. And it's through the paradox of the physical and spiritually broken Christ on that cross that inspires the dichotomy Stephen says is a perception that inspires humbleness and hopefulness. And he does not just leave it at that vague description, but actually breaks it down. He stated that he is humbled because the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against him was canceled out and nailed to the cross. Reference Colossians 2.14. Remember, we discussed this in the Empty Cross, episode 16, how the sins of the world remained on the cross. And second, that he is hopeful because now he has assurance by faith that eternal life through Christ is ever before him. And I agree with this conclusion, that without his eternal perspective of hope, we'd be miserable. Stephen then wraps up his essay with a series of aspects that the distinct shape of the cross reminds him of, aspects about the cross that are important and precious to him. The first reminds me of the description in episode 15, the infinity at its best episode, in that Jim Thomas infers that the cross is a graph 
with each of the four lines extending to eternity, and yet the spot where they intersect with us through the sacrifice of his son. Similarly, Steve ponders how the cross is a type of compass, with lines pointing east, north, west, and south, inferring that the point of intersection is where all the millions of souls gather across time, gather together in and through Christ. The only problem that Stephen observes is that there is not enough people at the gathering place yet. Therefore, he feels it is more than a duty, but a joy to share the good news of the gospel to the souls in despair who need guidance to carry over into the joy of the Lord. Just like a movie called The Caretaker I recently watched, how a man who accidentally stumbled upon the final departure station for all souls. Of course, he didn't know that when he arrived there. Now, at first, the entire premise and process was awkward to the visitor, and the current custodian was a bit annoying. At this station, each departed soul had a choice, and eventually, the human visitor at this station began to help the caretaker and began to crave the joy of successfully, successfully escorting the recently departed into the light. As Christians, we should all embrace the joy of bringing a soul into the kingdom of God before their body dies. The second aspect is how the symbol of the cross reminds him how to look up, just like the image chosen for this essay, the climb in which I am looking up to the cross. The Messiah who died on that cross was resurrected and ascended into heaven and will someday return to the clouds of glory. Now we are talking my language. <laughs> As a photographer, especially an inspirational photographer, one of my favorite subjects to shoot are clouds. Well, not just the clouds by themselves. Although I have seen a gallery show once where the photographer printed hundreds of five by seven cloud images. And yeah, they were cool. But no, typically I shoot what are called skyscapes, where they're typically vertical images with about 90% sky and landscape in the lower 10% of the image to give the viewer some sort of scale or reference, even if they're silhouettes. In the mornings, and especially in the evening as we approach sunset, I'm often looking up to assess the makeup of the sky to foretell somewhat the potential of the approaching sunset. And even if I'm out and about and not able to shoot, I will soak in as much of a sunset every night as much as I can. And not just the sunset, which is divided between the preset and the postset majesty. There is also incredible setting, meaning the quick moving few minutes where the sun kisses the horizon line and it keeps dipping down and down to the last sliver of sunlight disappears. I feel the most special during those times of day, which is the rise of the sun over the horizon and the eventual dropping below the opposite horizon. It is a moment of extreme contemplation for me mixed with prayer. I have certain deeply personal things that I say to God every time I see the sun either kissing the horizon going down or popping up uh, over the horizon as it rises. Many times I stop and listen to the sacredness and silence as that horizon is passed. And you know, the story is a type of analogy for my ministry. Like Steve is reminded to look up when he sees a cross. My mission is to inspire the viewer of my images to look up. Consider the creator and the creation that I capture and present in my images. 
And of course, not just skyscapes or nature scenes like, say, meandering creeks, a forest trail, leaves, but it could be an insect like a praying mantis or an animal like a puppy or even a human like a joyful child. God's creation is all around us. And for me, every step is a photo or can be either with a camera or a mental image. And as it is all part of God's creation, everything is part of God's creation. In the third aspect, Stephen states that if the likeness of Christ is his target for living, then the cross will assist him in setting his sights on Christ. It sounds at first like circular logic, as if the lines making up the intersection make a crosshair-like target, something we can use to keep our focus on Christ. Not just the 100% divine Jesus who gave up his spirit to the sins nailed to the cross, but the man Jesus, the 100% man who learned what it was like to be human, to be hungry, feel physical pain, feel grief, feel betrayed, and yes, on the cross, even abandoned by his heavenly Father. And to focus on the life and ministry from the who he was perspective, how he exemplified love, kindness, patience, humbleness, forgiveness, and more, so that we can follow his lead and emulate his ways. And the fourth aspect, Stephen likens the cross to a key, unlocking the treasure chest of eternal truths regarding God's unfathomable love for us. Ours is the only religion that I know of where we are not striving to get to God as much as God is trying to get to us. It says in James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Having this assurance changes every situation we may face in life. Stephen then shares his fifth reminder in that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and that the sword, ironically, is in the shape of a cross. In God's final statement to the enemy of souls, it is finished. Blessed be the one who endured the sentence of the cross. Now, Satan felt he won by using the cross to kill the Savior of the human race. Instead, that same cross pierced the skull of the devil. The Son of God and the Son of Mary... The second Eve crushed the head of the devil with the cross. Now keep in mind, to be absent from this world is to be present with Christ. And yet, a hypothetical like, how would you face death, is no longer as consequential when you realize that the, the devil and all of his potential power over you was crushed on Calvary by the cross. So then the question is, how will you live? How will you live in this grateful and eternal perspective. What difference will it make when you go through tough and terrible times, knowing that the end of the story has already happened and that it all works out in the end, Romans 8, 28. Seems that one day, well, it seems that the, the, the one day of the year most believers truly grapple with this is on Good Friday and especially Easter. But just like people ask about Christmas, why can't every day be like Easter day? Why can't we live with that awareness that we feel on Easter? The answer is we can. You can walk, live, and move in the truth of the gospel. Just believe it and apply it today. If you're having a hard time with these concepts, allow me to encourage you to pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you around these perspectives today. And read the Bible more and pray more. Take the time, make the time, and contemplate 
on the light of these eternal and liberating concepts today. And if you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what he did for you, both on Good Friday and on Easter, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and heal the painful parts of your mind. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's image, the climb, along with my other versperations, then check out magicross.com or Magi Media on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise for the Magi Cross products, hear other cross podcasts, then log on to magicross.com. That is M A J I C R O S S.com.